Father, for this opportunity we have to study your word. I believe with all my heart, Lord, your word will be a great blessing to us as it comes across with simplicity, as it comes across with clarity. I believe, Father God, that it'll challenge us, make us better because of it. So we give you all the honor, all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As our nation faces issues of systemic racism, ongoing injustice, and deep division, I am so grateful that God's Word gives us some clear answers to help us understand how to navigate the seasons that we find ourselves in. Today I'm starting a brand new series entitled, Love Thy Neighbor. Love Thy Neighbor. And today I'm going to answer the question, who is my neighbor? And I believe that as we discuss this today, your heart will become enlarged, clarity and focus will come into your lives, and where we've been off, where we've thought wrong, I believe God's Word will make all the adjustments necessary in our heart today. Let's get right to our big takeaway. And here's our big takeaway today. Love is the greatest risk you will ever take. To not take it is to limit your life and be robbed from the most important part of life, a loving relationship with God and others. Man, that's so powerful. I believe with all my heart as we unpack this today that you will have a, a greater clarity on how we are to treat other people. Uh, let's begin to answer this question, who is my neighbor, by going right to Mark chapter 12. We'll start at verse 28. It says in, in verse 28, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. No other commandment is greater than these. In Jesus' answer, the most important statement that he makes here is about relationships. And it's an, such an important statement, probably the the most important statement you'll ever hear when it comes to our relationship with God and with others. His simple, clear answer to this question really has the power to be life-changing. You know, I don't say that lightly. I, I know God's Word is powerful. I know it changes us. But when we want to begin to understand who is our neighbor and how to respond to the pressures and tension and division among us. I believe that this word today really can be life-changing. By choosing these two commandments as the most powerful and most important of all the Old Testament commandments, Jesus tells us how deeply he values relationships. He values relationships with God. He values the relationship with others. Lesson one in Jesus' teaching on relationships is simply this. Nothing is more important than relationships. 
Oh, I know that sounds so simple, but stay with me today because that is Jesus' message today to us. Nothing is more important than relationships. From beginning to end, nothing is more important than relationships. In the beginning, God created us for relationship. He made you and made me to relate to Him and others. Miss out on relationships and you're missing the core reason for why God put us on this planet. And that's important that you understand that. The number one reason why God put us on this planet is for relationship. A relationship with God and a relationship with others. And I believe that is so true in, in every area of our lives. And in the end, nothing is more important because nothing will last longer than relationships. Your relationship with God and others will last throughout eternity. Jesus knows full well all the trauma and pain that we've been through in relationships. And that tempts us to move relationships down our priority list. Who needs this, people say. Who needs this, you might say. Who needs this? And I've said it over the years myself. And so reduce our lives then to what? Simple hobbies and tasks and entertainment. That's not the answer. That's not God's plan. When I try to make less important that which is truly most important, it only causes more confusion. A life without relationships may well be a simpler life, but it is also an empty life. Oh, I know that we all strive for simplicity. I know we all strive to take out all the complexity of our lives. There's no doubt about it. But oftentimes, especially in relationships, when we say we want a simpler life, it also chooses one that can be very empty and one that does not help us to develop the, the strength and the joy and the gladness that comes from meaningful relationships. The path to the greatest life possible, the greatest joy possible, is found in the priority that Jesus is teaching us here and one that we must keep at the top of our list. Place the highest value on relationships. Let me say it again. Place the highest value on relationships. Now let's read a different account in the Gospel of Luke. We'll start at Luke 10, verse 25. It says this, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? That's the question that we're wanting to answer today in part one. Who is my neighbor? Jesus' challenge to love God is more than enough to stretch us and challenge us for the rest of your life. I'm sure you'll agree. But he doesn't stop there, does it? Does he? As if that wasn't enough. Then he adds the command, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is having yet another discussion with a lawyer, asking questions that have been asked before. And it was a popular question to ask. But he asked it not to... to, to to bring any clear information, he wants to justify his religiosity. He's not trying to 
ask a question and then really want an answer. He wants to show off his intelligence. The man asked Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? The answer Jesus draws from the man is familiar. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you're right, now do this and you will live. Now, the lawyer is not looking quite as impressive. He wants to impress Jesus. He wants to impress the crowd. He wants to impress those that are around him. And now he's not looking quite so sharp. And so he tries to justify his first question with another question. And you can almost see he's kind of flustered and red-faced, I imagine, and kind of stammering. Well, um, okay then, well, who is my neighbor? Well, what kind of question is that, really? It's an obvious answer, who your neighbor is, and will Jesus even answer the question? Well, he does. He does, and he tells a story, and it actually is an unforgettable story. It's a story that really jars his Jewish audience. It's a, it's a story that really should get our attention as we listen very carefully. It's about an injured man laying on the side of the road, this journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, and, and he is critically injured. And the crowd kind of stirs because he talks about a, a priest and a temple assistant that come by, see the man, but pass him by. They're too important, too busy, too holy to touch the stranger beside the road. And then Jesus brings in another character. Here's where it changes. A Samaritan. A Samaritan who was walking down the road. Now to the Jewish crowd to whom Jesus was speaking, they don't like Samaritans and Samaritans don't like the Jews. Historical disputes had turned into cultural divide and personal distrust. And for this Jewish crowd, the Samaritan would be the enemy in most of their stories and would be the, the brunt of most of their jokes. Jesus describes the Samaritan's actions. He stops. He takes time to bandage the injured man's wounds. He puts this total stranger on his donkey, takes him to an inn, and actually spends money for his continual care. As Jesus finishes, the unveiling of this unexpected hero in this story had to hush the crowd. It's silence in that moment. Jesus looks at the lawyer whose question had prompted the story of the Good Samaritan. And the Lord doesn't judge him. The Lord doesn't get harsh with him. I imagine the Lord gently asks the man, which of these three is a neighbor? And now the lawyer is no longer justifying himself. He's no longer full of himself. And, and he has forgotten now that he wants to impress the crowd. And with a little bit more humility, he says, the one who helped him. Jesus tells this story to not only captivate his audience there in the Bible, but to captivate our attention, to captivate our thoughts, to bring our thoughts to a bigger place than just all that we're hearing around us and the news and the anger and the, the injustice and everything that's going on and the deep divide that's going on. He gets our attention. In the midst of this, it's a word for us. It's a word in due season. It's a word that gets our attention also. And if Jesus, if his teaching here does not change the way we think about what's going on around us, I question, will anything change us the way we think? 
Among the many truths taught in this powerful parable, let's focus on two clear values that have to do with loving others. This parable is about two things. Number one, it shows us the value of loving everyone and speaks to the value of loving someone. Now, please get this. Shows us the value of loving everyone and speaks to the value of loving someone. So the story is so true and so important. Everyone means that no one is outside the bonds of God's love. And someone means I can only practice love towards people I am right in front of. Here's what love does. Love that speaks in grand terms about loving everyone yet does nothing to meet in practical ways the need of the person who stands in front of it, it's not true love. Love that meets the needs of people who are close to it and yet looks on those outside its circle with prejudice is not true love either. The story about the Good Samaritan teaches us that I cannot limit the extent of my love. I can't put boundaries around it. I can't say yes to this group and no to that group. I can't say yes to this action and no to that action. Anytime I limit the word neighbor to some group smaller than everyone, I've missed the meaning of Jesus's words. And let's be honest, it's easy to limit our love, right? We've been hurt. Uh, the, the drama wears us down and the reasons are obvious today as it was in Jesus' day when he first taught the story that it's easy for us to limit our love. I've done it, you've done it, maybe you're doing it right now. So let's talk about the two reasons why we limit our love. Number one, we limit our love because of our differences. Man, we all deal with differences. We, we have differences in our culture, in our experience, and in, in our ethnicity, and, and, and all of the values in our lives. My goodness, the amount of differences that we all deal with. Jesus shocked those who listened to this parable when he made the Samaritan the hero of the story. You got to get this. For Jesus to answer the question, who is my neighbor with a story about a Samaritan made it clear that there must be no limits to our love. This was one of the main racism issues of the day for the Jews. This was, this was headlines. This is something they dealt with on a regular basis. And we can apply it to our very much our headlines today as well. And remember, the Jews despised the Samaritans so much that they would walk around. They would go way out of their way to not go through Samaria because they wanted no confrontation with these people called Samaritans. Jesus taught us elsewhere in Matthew 5, 43. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. My goodness, what a strong verse. When Jesus said neighbor again, what? He meant everyone. Whichever person or group would be Samaritan to you, Jesus meant them. Even those who would say they are your enemies. This seems so simple. Why is it even important to talk about because the moment I take it upon myself 
to limit the extent of my love. I've slipped away from the God kind of love and I've descended merely into a human kind of love. God's love is an everyone, everywhere, all the time kind of love. And human love is some people, some places, some of the time kind of love. Some of us are better than others about human love. Men, we, we, we are better at this human love. But let me tell you something. God is dealing with us here to say, if you want to love the God way, the God kind of love, it's going to take His power. You can't do this by yourself. All we qualify in ourselves is to love people in a human way, right? Love is a some people, some places, some time of love, right? That's human love. We can all do that. Again, some are better than others. But if we're going to do it the God way, if we're going to do it everyone, everywhere, all the time, kind of love, that will require the power of God. That will require, and so he challenges us to love in a way that can only be accomplished through a daily dependence on his power. That's so good. Besides limiting our love by our differences, there's a second reason why we limit our love. Number two, we limit our love because of our fears. Because of our fears. When Jesus' listeners heard him tell the story of the Good Samaritan, they would have immediately picked up on what we easily miss. It was a great risk for the Samaritan to care for a stranger lying beside the road. This road from Jerusalem to Jericho was known as a very dangerous road. You wouldn't want to go this road, down this road, unless you had to. There was always these opportunities for being robbed. Many people, many times they would, would pretend to be a wounded person on the side of the road while robbers waited over the hill. And when, if you would stop and take the time to mend the wounds, you would be robbed and sometimes even killed. So it was a great risk for the Samaritan to do what he did. The risk involved these two men that passed on the other side. In identifying them as religious men, Jesus was pointing out another fear. If a religious man touched a man covered in blood, he would become ceremonial unclean. It's always a risk to love. Listen very carefully. Whether it's the first century or the 21st century, it's always a risk to love. Right? Whether it's a Samaritan, African-American, right? Or Latino. Doesn't matter. It's always a risk to love. Whether it's a city that you're traveling through, whether it's Jericho, um, Boston, or San Juan. Doesn't make a difference. The point is, it's always a risk to love. C.S. Lewis made this profound observation. He said this, To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully, round with hobbies and little luxuries, and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. Put it in the casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless. It will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. My goodness, only 
C.S. Lewis could put it in those terms. You may have experienced a deep hurt when you made the choice to love. Man, it, it's only natural to tell yourself, oh, I'm never going to go down that road again. I'm never going to put myself in that position to have that kind of pain again. Of course you feel that way. Who wants to be wounded again and again? Lewis's statement reminds us that there's an even deeper hurt to be found in not loving than in taking the risk to love. If you choose not to love, not only will you be hurt, but the people you could have loved will be hurt in ways you may never know. Man, that's so profound. Take the risk to love. Take the risk and begin to set aside whatever prejudice has been in a way that has kept you from perhaps an entire group of people or an entire nationality of people outside the bonds of your love. Take the risk and begin to love someone whom you've stopped loving or you've refused to love. God knows that when we refuse to love, bitterness and feelings of emptiness inevitably grow in our hearts. No hurt or misunderstanding or sin has been brought on that you could be worth any greater hurt than refusing to love. Love indeed is the greatest risk that you'll ever take. There are people who will rather skydive off Yosemite Valley's Al Capitan um, versus taking the risk to love. There are businessmen that would jump at the opportunity for the billion dollar deal, but yet they are terrified to love. Yes, it's a risk to love, but it's the one risk we're taking more than any other. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to get across here. That's the point. It's a risk, but there's no greater risk. There's no greater benefit that comes by taking that risk. The truly love like the Samaritan man loved. Keep this in mind that the one relationship you can truly count on is your relationship to Jesus Christ. Listen and lean on this relationship with him as you take the risk to love others. Others may disappoint you, but listen, Jesus will never disappoint you. Now think about this. In closing, who are our neighbors? Who are our neighbors? Well, they're black and brown and white and all the beautiful shades in between. Who are our neighbors? Some of them are angry and hurt and frustrated. Who are our neighbors? Well, they're the ones who don't need to feel your, our judgment. They need to feel our empathy. Who are our neighbors? Well, they are real people that don't need us to be one way in front of them and another way online. Who are our neighbors? There are people that we meet on an everyday basis that should see that we are different because Jesus lives inside of our heart. Who are our neighbors? There are hurting people that are far from God that need us need us desperately to show them the love of God. Who are our neighbors? Well, they live right next door. And what a great place to start to make our world a better place. Question for you as I close. Are you a good neighbor? I'm asking myself that question. Am I a good neighbor? 
And remember, anytime we limit the word neighbor to a group smaller than everyone, we have totally missed the true meaning of the words of Jesus. Who is your neighbor? I pray in Jesus' name that this enlarges our world. I pray that it, it checks us, it checks our attitude, and it checks the, the, the opportunities that we have, the words that we've been saying, and the, 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 the fights and the challenges that we are experiencing right now, and the great divide. Let's don't add to the great divide. Let's don't add to the tension. Let's be different, because Jesus lets us understand who our neighbor is. If you apply this who our neighbor is to your everyday life, I tell you what, it'll change the way you live. It'll cause you to repent and say, Lord, forgive me for being so short-sighted and so small-minded to make my neighbor less than everyone. What was our big takeaway? Love is the greatest risk you'll ever take. To not take it is to limit your life and be robbed from the most important part of life, a loving relationship with God and others. I pray today this message ministered to you. It's only part one. Man, we've got quite a few parts to go. And I believe it's going to stretch us as we do this God's way, as we love our neighbors God's way. I believe it'll make a tremendous difference in our lives. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that your heart expands. I want to pray that your heart that might be limited is now opening up to realize what it means to be a good neighbor. And who is my neighbor? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for expanding our hearts. Thank you for opening up our eyes. Thank you, Father God, for healing our hearts if necessary and, and helping us to take inventory and to fix it, repent for our sin and our short-sightedness and our, our small-mindedness and, and, and reducing, Father God, Lord, our, our, who our neighbors are to just a few that we are comfortable with. So I thank you, Father, for the God kind of love in our hearts today. I thank you for this divine exchange that helps us to recognize and to expand our circle of love and to grow and to be examples in this difficult season of who our neighbors really are and to walk in the God kind of love. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to make sure that Jesus, this one who never leaves you, this one who never forsakes you, is in your heart. You can't do this. We can't love like we need to love. We, we can't walk in the freedom that we need to unless Jesus lives on the inside of us. So I pray, if you don't know him today, I want to pray with you so that you can open up your heart sincerely and say, Jesus, come into my heart and transform the way I look at my world in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you. Repeat this after me, please. Dear Jesus, I love you. I need you. I ask you to forgive me from my sin. I need to change. I can't do this by myself. Jesus, I declare you as my Lord, my Savior. Change me from the inside out. Change my heart. I receive salvation, forgiveness, 
and eternal life. Thank you for changing me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for joining me today. God bless you. Continue the chat. Stay connected. Sure do love you. God bless you.